You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. The birth of Jesus Christ. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being just a man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this, play, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Thank you, Nora. Well, 2020, what a year. Just insane. I think you can kind of sum up 2020 in some of the words and phrases that have defined our year. New concepts like social distancing and elbow bumps, new phrases like flatten the curve or bring down the R rate, which we all know what that means suddenly. Uh, there are old words that have come, that uh, have a new lease on life with a new relevance, a new meaning, words like pivot and cluster. You can't say cluster without sending off alarm bells now or lockdown. And then there were completely new words that have emerged in the madness of this year, words like covidiots or <laughs> doom scrolling, the practice of scrolling through your newsfeed, finding out what new disaster has happened today. Or think about the rise of the Karen, uh, <laughs> which the Macquarie Dictionary reports is the people's choice for the word of the year. Uh, and then, of course, as Australians, we've made everything feel Australian, so you better get some hand sanny so you don't have to go into ISO because of Rona. You know, <laughs> we've, we've kind of made it our own thing. And if we had a screen, I'd show you all some of the, the, the classic memes of this year. I think my favourite, though, is this one. I'm going to stay up on New Year's Eve this year, not to see the new year in, but to make sure the current one leaves. <laughs> and yet it was interesting to see how all of these memes and catchy phrases started to wane as the year went on. I don't know if malaise just set in, people's creativity was numbed by lockdown, or if things actually got beyond a joke, so many hard things. Because this has been a hard year in many countries. There's been a horrible death toll, uh, 1.6 million people worldwide. If you had a parent in a nursing home here in Victoria, you know the anxiety of uh, wondering what would happen to your loved one. 44 people dying in St Basil's home in Faulkner, 20 in Bapcare's Wyndham Lodge on Sinnott Street and 16 on Glendale just across the road. And while uh, all of this might not have affected you personally, we've all experienced the hardship of lockdown. Perhaps you've lost your job 
Or perhaps you had your hours reduced or you found yourself actually working even more, trying to juggle your work during, at, at home as well as schooling the kids. And for all of us, we've had the difficulty of not going out. Melbourne has had one of the strictest and longest lockdowns in the world, seven months cut off from the world around us. And so I think for lots of us here in Melbourne and even across the world, this year, 2020, could be defined by the idea of distance, distance from normality, no crowds at the footy, no morning ritual, walking to the office with a coffee, distance from each other, stickers and signs everywhere telling us to keep our distance, distance from loved ones, from family and friends, no coffee catch-ups, no play dates with the cousins, no hugs in the hard times or the good times, and distance from the rest of the world, no, no travel. I was in Aldi a couple of weeks ago and there's an electronic chime that went off that sounded just like the PA announcer at, at the airport. And I got so nostalgic, I thought, um, when am I going to get to an airport ever again? It has been a year of profound distance. Now, all along, we've been told, it's been explained that it's, it's necessary so that we can be together. Catchy slogans like staying apart will keep us together. And as the year has progressed, Christmas has become symbolic of this great hope. All around the world, leaders have told us repeatedly, we're doing this so that we can have the most normal type of Christmas. We'll be okay by then. After months of distance and being apart, we'll be able to come together, family and friends, joy and closeness. And so here we are at Christmas. But what if Christmas doesn't actually turn out the way that we want it to? What if you've got family from Sydney? Already those plans might be just out of the window. I just was reading this morning in Britain, the, the, the Christmas that they were promised has been taken away from them. So maybe it's so, tender, it's so fragile, we just don't know if Christmas will be the one that we want. Or even if, we, if it, even if we get to have Christmas like it's looking like we will here in Melbourne, what if it disappoints in a way that only 2020 can? Like what if you miss out on buying the turkey because there's a rush on them just like there was with the toilet paper? Or, or what about this? I can see a Christmas where the Christmas lights fall off the veranda crash through your window, knock over the tree, uh, the tree sets something on, on fire and then the, the toy that you bought for your kid shoots the dog. Like something like that happens. <laughs> That's Christmas 2020. Or what if? What if Christmas is actually just like every other year? Because Christmas can often be a challenging time. You spend squillions on presents and still your kids aren't satisfied. You sing songs about peace on earth and goodwill to all men, and then you find yourself next to Uncle Roger. And you just want to throw eggnog in his face. That's the thing, isn't it? As, as humans, we want to be together, but we actually find it really hard. We want closeness, but we keep finding distance. Just think about it. You share something personal with someone else seeking their help, but then they use it against you or you strive to give yourself to someone else, but you find yourself holding back. You, you come together at Christmas with all the people that you know and love, but because they know you the best, they remind you of all the things you want to forget. We want closeness, 
that we create distance. And so I want to suggest to you today that we've actually been socially distanced long before 2020. We haven't used that term and yet that's been our reality. The truth is it's been the reality for all humans right through all of history, right back to the very beginning. I'm always drawn to Genesis 1 to 3 and the story of life in the Garden of Eden. For me, these first chapters of the Bible make sense of everything that happens afterwards. First of all, we see Adam and Eve, they were made to live with God and with each other. And in these opening chapters, we catch this glimpse of what life was like. They, they're close to God. They, they work alongside him, establishing the world. There's this lovely picture of them spending time walking with him in the garden, sharing special time. There's, a, there's an affinity, a common purpose and they're close to each other. Genesis 2.25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There was, there was no distance. There was a total intimacy, physical and emotional. And that's what makes it so tragic when that's shattered and it falls apart. In Genesis 3, we see Adam and Eve turn away from God and fall from grace. They were made to live with God and with each other, and they choose, though, to strike out on their own and defy God. This has consequences. And one of the most uh, obvious and most tragic is the distance it creates, the separation from God and from each other. You see it come between them. Adam and Eve were made to be together, but as soon as they disobey God, what happens? Genesis 3 verse 7, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. They felt their nakedness, their shame, their insecurity. They became self-protective because they were no longer sure that the other person would look after them. There's distance here between these first two people and then we see it between people and God. Genesis 3 verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. With a broken heart, God calls after them, where are you? Now he knows, of course, but he's mourning, mourning the fact that everything must now change. You see, a holy, perfect God cannot be around unholy people. And so Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden. Genesis 3:24. he drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. It's such a tragic picture. God had placed the man in the garden. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it, we're told. And now God is driving him out. Humans were made to live with God, to be close to him, but sin means that we must be distant from him. We've been cast out from his presence. And so our relationships can be defined by these two ideas of closeness and distance. We were made to be close to God and to each other, but sin means that we are distant. Now, that could have been the end of the story. God could have left things like that, but he chose not to because God wanted closeness. 
And so first he, he gathers a people together as his own, God's people, Israel. He gives them his laws so that they can know how to live with him and with each other. And then he gives them a way of coming together with him uh, through sacrifices and the tabernacle and the temple. The word tabernacle really hints to what it means. It's the tent of meeting, the place where God would dwell with his people. The place, the one place in all of the world where the God of holiness and distance could draw close to his people. And then that's replaced by the temple known as God's house. This place that God invites his people to come into so that they can fellowship with him. And there's this wonderful sense of closeness there. This is creation meeting with its creator. And yet there's also this horrible sense of distance there as well. Still God is holy, Habakkuk 1. He is, pure, he is of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. And so for, for humans to gather with him, to come into his presence, there's rules you might call it sacred distancing. Before they come to God, they must be cleansed of their sin. They have to offer sacrifices for their guilt. And then there's strict rules about who can meet with him, who's clean and who's unclean. And then there's kind of how rules about how close you could come. The, the temple was set up as a kind of set of concentric circles. And in the, the center of the temple was the Holy of Holies, the most sacred place that only the high priest could enter and that only once a year. There was all of these senses then. Whenever you came to the, the temple, you were being told, here is a chance to draw close to God, but there's still distance. You're in his house, but you can't just make yourself at home. And so, because we couldn't make ourselves home with God, God chose to make, him, make his home with us. That's what we come to understand in our reading today. An angel comes to this man named Joseph and tells him that Mary will have a baby. Matthew 1, 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And then he's told in verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. The prophet spoke about here is the prophet Isaiah, who wrote about 750 years before Joseph's encounter with the angel. Over the last couple of months at City on a Hill, uh, we've been studying these, the prophecies of Isaiah, seeing what he would say about this Jesus who was coming. He says lots of stuff, that Jesus will be wise and heroic and powerful and strong and a servant and perhaps most remarkable of all, he will be God with us. I want you to just squeeze the juice out of that idea. For a minute. God with us. In Jesus, God came to us. He didn't come near us. He wasn't just sort of proximate. He wasn't around the corner. He wasn't at a safe distance. He wasn't one and a half meters away from us. He was with us. With us in every aspect of life, in every part of the human experience. With us 
enjoy. So the very first miracle that Jesus performs is turning water into wine at a wedding because he wants to be with his creation in their celebrations. With us in sorrow. He was there at the gravesite with his friends Mary and Martha, farewelling Lazarus. He was with us in our best moments and our worst moments. In those the moments like when Peter recognized that he was the Messiah, and then also there when Peter deserted him. God with us. That's the wonder of Christmas the wonder of Christ, the God who made us, who made us for him, came to be with us. Our sin distances us from him, but in Christ, God draws near. We couldn't make ourselves home with him, so he made his home with us. And yet, when he came, ultimately, he was rejected and cast out. I feel this heaviness every time I read the biographies, the Gospels of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and I get to the end of his life. Those last chapters are always so heavy. You see his friends deny him and betray him. You see the crowds baying for his blood, wanting him to be crucified. You see the soldiers bullying him and shaming him. The God who came to be with his creation was despised and rejected by men. And I look at all of this and I wonder how it could happen. How could such a good God on such a good mission be rejected like this? Often think about this. Why would we do this? And I want to suggest that it's actually because we have this kind of strange ambivalence about being with God. We're both drawn to it, we want it, and we don't want it. We want to be close to God, but we also don't want to be close. There's something that draws us to him and something that repels us. There's, there's something that drives us to religion and the desire to find the divine somewhere, but also something that pulls us away as soon as God comes to us. You see this with Adam and Eve. They were made to live with God, but then as soon as they sinned, they got away from him. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And sin does that. There's something when we fall short of God's greatness and his glory, we feel ashamed and we have to get away. We want to hide from God's presence. We feel our unworthiness. But it's not just shame. It's not just conviction. There's something sharper there too. There's, there's rebellion. It's not just that we can't be close to God, it's that we often don't want to be. We don't want God to see what we're doing. We don't want to live with him and we turn from him, go our own way, rejecting his wisdom and pulling away from his loving presence. As the Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. It's not just that we are cast out, it's that we want out. We want out from God's presence. We don't just hide from him, we run from him. And that's ultimately why Jesus was rejected. Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. And while that brought wonderful things, it also brought conviction. He made people aware of God's presence, a presence that they ended up resisting. 
So they didn't just run from him, they sought to destroy him. So there's this horrible and strange kind of irony. When humanity sinned, we were cast out of God's presence. And when God came to us, we tried to cast him out of our presence. And yet in all of this, God had a plan. There was another reason that Jesus was cast out and forsaken. It was so that we could ultimately be brought back. Look back at Matthew 1, verse 21. Do you notice what the angel says to Joseph? She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So my friends pointed out to me, this is the beginning of Matthew's gospel, but he's already giving away the ending. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. There was this horrible distance between us created by sin and Jesus came to bridge that distance. But to do that, he had to be distanced from God himself. Remember, a holy God cannot be around an unholy people. That's why Adam and Eve were cast out of God's presence. And so for us to return to God's presence, that unholiness has to be dealt with. That has to be taken away. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. He took our sin upon himself. Our sin was taken away from us and put on him so he could deal with it. Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And because Jesus was carrying our sin, he was cast out from God's presence. Think back to what Jesus said on the cross. As death drew near, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a mystery here. How does this work within the Trinity, within God is one person and yet three, uh, one God and yet three persons? What does it mean? that there is some forsaking here, there's some distancing, a disturbance. We don't exactly know how to explain this, but we know that the one who had always felt the Father's pleasure now felt his judgment. He felt the distance that sin brings because he was carrying our sin. He was perfect, yet he took on our sin. He was forsaken by God so that we wouldn't have to be. He was cast out so that we could be drawn in. He died so that we might live. Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. You see, Jesus' death accomplished something. We know that because he didn't stay dead. There was new life in the manger, in the inn, and there was new life in the tomb after his death. Jesus rose from the dead. The cost of dealing with our sin was death. He paid that cost, and so death could not hold him down. And so he rose up from the dead, and we rise with him. Jesus came to be with us. And now we can be with God. In fact, so profoundly that God actually sends his Holy Spirit to us. 
not just with us, alongside us, but inside us. That's the promise that Jesus receives for us in his resurrection and the promise that ultimately we will be with him forever. Just before Jesus went, uh, just before Jesus left his disciples, he says in John 14, in my father's house are many rooms. I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. We couldn't make ourselves home with God. So God made his home with us. And because of what Jesus has done, we can and we will be able to make ourselves at home with God forever. Well, it's been a crazy year, a hard year. A horrible year, a year of distance. No amount of Zoom parties can make up for that. We've all spent months in lockdown, separated from the people around us. You may still be feeling that distance, missing family or friends. Even as you come together, you might feel the distance between you in your relationships. That's because the human experience is one of wanting closeness but finding distance from God and from each other. But know this, know that at this Christmas, most of all, remember that God has come to bridge that gap, to end that distance. In Jesus, our God took on flesh and dwelt among us. The creator came to his creation. We are the visited planet, as C.S. Lewis put it, because God wanted to be close He made us to be close to him. And so he came into that gap. He drew near so that you and I could be drawn in. Let's celebrate that this Christmas. God with us. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you so much for Christmas and the reminder that you are Emmanuel, God with us. We were made to live with you. We acknowledge that sin creates this distance, this horrible, cursed gap between us and between each other. So we thank you that you were not satisfied with that, but you came and bridged that gap. You stepped into the distance and drew us close. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.